APSA Corporate and Investment Banking lead the conversation on future investment possibilities and sustainable growth opportunities in consumer goods and services. If you're looking at sectors, I think the one that I will put my head on the block on is that the fast fashion industry and that cycle has been, if not completely broken, very, very damaged and battered. And I don't know if they're going to bounce back to 2019 kind of figures. Matching foresight with sustainable possibilities to unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, hosted by Bruce Whitfield. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. Dion Chang joins us now, and Dion Chang is the founder of Flux Trends. Flux Trends is a leading think tank. Is that what you are? Thinkers, because that's what you do. You think about the future, you look at trends, and you try and figure out what's really going on in society. Um, And it's been such a wonderful time, I'm sure, for you, dislocating and discombobulating and horrible, but fascinating from a step change in the way in which the world works perspective, Dion. Yes. Hi, Bruce. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I think the you know the past year, uh, I say it's always been a, a complete watershed year. So if we thought we were dealing with disruption before that, which is sort of technological disruption, business disruptions, um, 2020 has wiped the slate clean and has forced everybody to reconfigure, reassess, and then hopefully recalibrate as soon as possible. But everything has changed, yes. While you were saying all the re-things, I was writing recalibration with a question mark. So yes, was it a necessary recalibration? Let's take out the human suffering and the deaths and all the agony. I don't know if in our human history we've ever recalibrated unless we have gone through a big dislocation. And I wonder if this dislocation is akin to any other dislocation of industrial revolutions or wars or anything else that has caused humanity to fundamentally change the way it thinks about the future. I think it has. But I mean, if you, you, know, if you just think about all the things that you mentioned, a war or depressions and things like this, those were, you know, they, they were quite protracted. This hit us a full whammy. I mean, it's still carrying on, but you know, within a, a space of 12 months, really everything had to change. So the work from homes and, and all of those kind of things and technology accelerating by five years. But you, you, know, you said, did we need this recalibration? Absolutely. So what we do at Fluxus is take a lot of our clients back to 2019 and say, these were things that were on a tipping point. Issues of sustainability. There were, there were just a whole lot of things that were just bubbling up. Um, uh, you know, social justice causes, which really exposed during um, you know, 2020, Black Lives Matter. All of these things sort of were were causing this perfect storm, but we didn't really think about that at all. Over tourism, all of those kind of things. So it was a a really big wake up call in, 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 in many ways and in many sectors as well. Is it a change for the better as far as humanity is concerned? I mean, you know, humanity progresses forward all the time. I think the world gets better all the time. But occasionally it's a bit like eating too much and not going on a diet and not getting any exercise. And occasionally you go and see your doctor and says your cholesterol's up, your blood sugar's up, you better take <laughs> remedial action. It feels like we've had that sort of in-depth in medical exam uh, as a globe. Well, we have. And I think what spurred it on has been that, you know, a year of sitting at home, we've um, in whatever ways, uh, small ways and big ways, we've all suffered a little bit of an existential crisis. You know, we've been figuring out what's important, what things mean to us, what family means to us. So, so you know, you see the sort of spin-off trends that have already started to unfold, migration, people moving around. 
looking for bigger properties. So, you know, that's going to have a major ripple effect on not only sort of residential properties, but then when we go into the work from home kind of scenario, then, you know, commercial properties and then retail properties, because we, you know, that that's also changing at a very, very rapid pace as well. Talk to me about the lipstick effect. I was chatting to Asana Courtier about this and she explained it as being in really, really tough times. People need to spend on luxuries. They have to feel good about themselves. And instead of buying the new car or the new pair of expensive shoes, you buy some lipstick and you stick it in your face and you feel better. And, you know, whatever that lipstick is, it might be a nice bottle of wine or it might be a massage or whatever the case is, whatever it is that gets you sort of feeling that life isn't over as you know it. But in terms of things like lipstick, for example, we all walk around wearing masks and uh, we are muffled and <laughs> where nobody can hear us talk anymore because uh, you can't lip read anymore and you can't communicate clearly, but there's no need to lipstick anymore. So our spending went, and you made reference to it a moment ago, into bricks and mortar, changing our homes, changing our livelihoods. And I see that as a massive positive because that's a real asset-based investment. We probably don't see the benefits as a country right now, but certainly longer term, that's a huge positive. It is absolutely a positive. And I agree that the lipstick effect wasn't as we know it, as a, as the theory goes, because, uh, you know, again, like I said, I think everything was concentrated within a one year. It was a very short, surprising and enforced harsh reality that we had to adapt to. Also, we couldn't go out. So, so you can't really buy something that's going to sort of make you feel better that other people will notice because nobody's going to notice, especially on a Zoom call. Uh, you might have bought a Zoom background or something like that. But it is strange. You know, what you're saying, if you look at, you know, we, we always sort of assume that there was this sort of home ownership. But if you look at the bigger sort of building retailers, like the builders and uh, of that field, did phenomenally. I mean, they've never seen figures like that within the past decade or two. And that's also because they service a lot of rural, peri-urban customers, and they were sitting at home saying, well, we might as well just build another room onto, onto it. So, so that's why those people did. And you'll see, you know, a lot of the retailers unexpectedly started launching, uh, where I think it was pick and pay, uh, we're starting to launch fitness equipment and, you know, gym, gym equipment, all of those kind of things. So everything went into a little bit of kind of self-love or self-improvement. Uh, home improvements. And then there was this, this pent up savings of, of not going out, uh, not going to eat out, all of those kind of things. So it's it's going to be interesting to see where that build up finally does uh, explode. And, and I have my money on experiences, on travel, on, you know, on, on, on less material things. Although I think people are going to splurge, but I think we've learned very, very harsh lessons. And I think if you're looking at sectors, I think the one that I will put my head on a block on is that the fast fashion industry and and that cycle has been, if not completely broken, very, very damaged and battered. And I don't know if they're going to bounce back to, to 2019 kind of figures. And, and uh, yeah. It's interesting you talk about fast fashion because I think just this morning, I think it was the Guardian website, the UK newspaper, The Guardian, saying fast fashion hasn't felt the wrath of the activists and it should. And I wonder if they're going to escape simply because fast fashion is going to change. And I mean, it was lovely. You bought a T-shirt. It lasted two weeks, but it was cool. You look good for both wears. And then you went gardening in it because it, it was no longer fit for human consumption. But the environmental cost of the way in which we've been operating, you you, you spoke about over-tourism and um, and I think that yes. sort of works in the same way as over-tourism, over-retailing, over-fast fashion. All of this excess had to be knocked out of the system somehow. Is that a sustainable change? Or is it just something we've parked for a bit, but we'll be gagging for two or three years from now? I don't want to sound like a beauty queen, but um, the, the children are our future. And, and you know, <laughs> we've spoken many times, and my passion is about looking at uh, Gen Z, who are actually not teenagers anymore. The oldest Gen Zs are, you know, 24. They are your new customer, and they are all 
also your new employee. So they're very much there. And it's interesting when you, you know, talk about that. So I think it's, it's a beginning and end of that value chain. So at the beginning, we've discovered, and we were just starting, there were a lot of documentaries that are coming out at the end of 2019 about um, you know, fashion being the second most polluting industry. You're not only talking about the manufacture of it, but uh, when you go further up the value chain, dying of things, the water that goes into the cotton. But now just you know, read a horrific story last week about where your old clothes go to die. And it was a huge landfill in Ghana. So your poor economies are the dumping grounds of mm. the developed you know, countries. Um, and this is an interesting one because I've been tracking this for, for a long time. And when I mentioned this in 2012, people thought I was really smoking my socks. But a $1.6 billion deal by a company called Etsy, and they are a vintage or secondhand uh, reseller uh, group. And they've just bought another app called Depop. So someone buying a little app for, for $1.6 billion, and it's about recycling and it's about vintage, all about those things. Those are really significant signals on our radar that, that something very, very different is, is underfoot. And then you go into different sectors and you look at you know fast consumer goods or, or perishables. Everything is now going to have a carbon label footprint on it. So there's label tracking everywhere. I've tracked a furniture c- company in, in Norway that's starting to stick those labels on furniture as well. So the sustainability issue that was just just starting to mature, um, lover or hater, the got the Marmite effect, Greta Thunberg, you know, has really reawoken all of this kind of awareness around the world. And just this year, I mean, just personally, I've been asked to go into so many panel discussions of, of, of really large consumer brands about sustainability, about fair trade, about their value chains, all of those things. So you can feel it happening. And then, of course, on the, on the big financial front, um, sustainability versus investments, we go back to Gen Z. A 25-year-old Australian guy sues his super fund for not mitigating the risks of climate change, uh, future change in his investment portfolio, and he wins the case. You know, they're landmark things that are, you know, if, you, if you're even tone deaf to it or you don't want to hear it, these bombs are exploding around the place. So I think in terms of consumers and what brands and retailers have to do, it's a very, very big wake-up call. And this is going to accelerate within the next 18 months or so. There's going to be very, very fast changes. Still to come in this EPSA Insights podcast. If it's not sustainable, why would you continue down that road when you know that there's a cul-de-sac at the end of the road and you're not going to go anywhere after that? So, you know, best you try and take an off-ramp a little bit earlier. EPSA Insights. You refer to it as the great staggering. Um, Are are we staggering because we've been punched? Are we staggering (laughs) because we don't know which way to go? How does the staggering work? Yeah, I think we're just staggering. And and my new one is in a holding pattern. I just feel just businesses are just in this holding pattern. They're just circling and circling and circling and hope the petrol doesn't run out. But yes, the staggering is just a little phrase that we came up with. And it just kind of uh, describes the period from full lockdown, March 2020, to whenever this better normal is going to to emerge. And this is where that recalibration the reassessment is is happening. And I think a lot of companies have used this period, the great staggering, and that's what I advocate, is to use the great staggering as a period of innovation to really rethink things. Because, you know, it's, it's not just the sustainability things, but like I mentioned, the social justice topics, you know, you're starting to see even in a, um, a supermarket chain in, in, in the US after Black Lives Matter, they started putting labels on all of the shelves for minority-owned businesses. So you could start doing that. And, and you know, we should almost be looking at that in, in a South African context to, to look at that about buying locally, you know, everybody's supply chains have, you know, we found that it's been really fragile being linked to a supply chain that's, that originates in China. 
Um, so everyone's starting to reassess how do we do this? How do we do it more locally? How do we control our supply chains? All of those kind of things. So, so there's a, a really, really big you know, recalibration. And it's not going to be easy because you can't just switch, you know, no. flick a switch and it's all going to change. But I think the, the will is there. And as you say, if the will isn't there, the consumer is pushing very, very, very hard indeed. A quote that I've traced the best, I mean, the internet can't be trusted for quotes, not one little bit. I mean, it's a bit like the, the one quote I found, which was from Abraham Lincoln, which said, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Uh, but th- there is a fabulous quote, um, which I have sourced to Ram Emanuel, who was the chief operating officer or the chief of staff for Barack Obama, became the uh, mayor of, of Chicago. And it was all about never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, and I think you know, many people have said similar things in the past. But this is a crisis that has been forced upon us by a health crisis, which has dislocated so much of the way we used to do do things to not fundamentally use this opportunity to shift the way we do things would be careless at best. Yes, and might I add, just you're completely tone deaf because if you if you're not reading the science now, then I don't know when you are mm. you know are going to. And that's why for me the the most surprising trend was that link between sustainability and and the world of finance. And and we've got a category of you know the fossil fuel pariahs. So there's there's an immense pressure on on the petroleum companies to change into energy companies. Again, that's not going to happen overnight, but you are seeing the pressures and the pressures and the pressures. You know, and and they come from all quarters. So for example, just in the UK. Uh, you know, you mentioned The Guardian. The Guardian was the first global media house to actually state very, very publicly, we will no longer accept advertising revenue from petroleum companies or, or fossil fuel companies. So, so it's that kind of pressure that's that's really building up uh, around people. We've seen Total Energy, Total change its logo, change its appearance, change its brand promise, simply because of these sorts of pressures. Yes, and there are um, the Australian, uh, he's an older Gen Z, but Mr. McVee. There are lots of Mr. McVee's waiting behind him, uh, you know, and starting to take. And another thing that's, that's funny enough happened in Australia as well, a court ruling uh, some high school kids took the federal government to court to say that they are not protecting them or their futures. And they also won the case. So there's just, there's a lot of stuff. And again, with my, my, my beauty queen hat on, the Gen Zs, you know, the digital natives are your customer and now your customer and they're earning their own money. And that's the game change that you're going to see that's going to accelerate what, what we've been sort of maybe dragging our heels at. Few few things change for the better quickly, though. And as frustrating as it is, it's a it's a slow evolution. I mean, we just look at South Africa, for example, and energy consumption and energy dependence on fossil fuels. Um, Anglo-American recently unbundled their coal business and it's separately listed in London and in South Africa. And talk to the chief executive of this business. He said, but hold on a second. You've got mines that have got a 10-year lifespan. He says, no, there's plenty of coal. But yeah, we know there's plenty of coal, but you shouldn't be digging it up and burning it. And he said, well, do you want the lights to stay on or don't you? Um, and, and we've got this huge dependence on on filthy fossil fuels, yet you know the president's announcement fairly recently of companies being able to generate their own power at 100 megawatts each is a sea change in that thinking. Yes, coal is with us, but within 18 months to two years, we could have five gigawatts of renewable power being built in South Africa alongside coal. And at some point, that balance shifts. And, and this has accelerated, I suppose, that process. I, I do some some lecturing at some business colleges, and whenever I'm talking to executives, I talk about you know you, you really got to embrace ambidextrous leadership because you you're trying to to maintain the ship you get you know on a, on an even keel 
You want to maintain the institutional memory, but you're also bringing in completely new things and new ways of working. So, you know, I think it is that that, that fundamental change. And, and I think people will be, if they're not already backed into a corner, are going to be backed into a corner um, as well. So if you look at, you know, other sort of fast consuming goods, uh, you know, one news thing that came out a few weeks ago was Nestle. And they're now looking at, you know, all of their foodstuffs because they've discovered that 60% of what they sell is not really healthy. Um, so, oops, that's quite a, a reset that you have to do for 60% of your products if, you, if you're going to walk the talk. And Bruce, there's also, you know, a different thing. If we go back to, you know, just sort of these young, young activists and why they're forcing brands and CEOs to be activist CEOs or activist brands, you know, that, that pressure just keeps, keeps mounting and mounting and mounting. And you will see that uh, because no matter what a brand says or does in terms of marketing, you've got uh, a digital native that has the time and the technical expertise to dig deeper and say, actually, that's uh, greenwashing, pinkwashing, blackwashing, whatever color you want to insert there, it's washing and you're just doing it for marketing purposes. I'm going to misquote, hopelessly, Elon Musk, but it's something along the lines of you've either got sustainable choices or you've got unsustainable choices. And so it's perfectly logical that the world moves in the direction of sustainable because any other choice is not sustainable. And it's lovely, simplistic, oversimplifying the complexity of the world. But I think he's right, isn't he? I think he's absolutely right. And I think what is interesting is we are starting to see, again, if you're a naysayer, you're starting to see very, very real evidence. So if I take you back to 2019 again, we started the beginning of 2020 before the pandemic really hit down. You know, uh, it was a bit biblical. There were plagues of locusts in East Africa. There were bushfires raging, uh, you know, from California to Australia. The smog was not making people breathe easily. And then you have the snowstorm in Texas, which completely not only freezes the, you know, the city and the state, but it freezes up supply chains for microchip processes, all of those kind of things. We are discovering that our little idyllic world is very, very fragile indeed. And, and now we're starting to take heed and say, okay, maybe, maybe we need to do something different. Final question, how then do we make our future anti-fragile? Sure, that's a big question. And my very simple answer is we've got to, you know, as they said in Davos, beginning of 2020, prophetically, we have to find a better way, a, a different kind of capitalism. And that's one of the, the, the big trends that I'm really happy to see because there was, you know, a focus on ESG markers and, you know, B corporation listings. And there was a sort of chat in, in, in 2018, 2019. And that, of course, is now, now accelerated. Every single company is now scrabbling to get their ESG markers up and, you know, look, look much, much good and better. But fundamentally, they are still driven by stakeholder primacy. And, and, you know, that whole thing about moving to shareholder capitalism or shareholder primacy is going to be a very difficult switch. But it is one that overwhelmingly you're seeing the evidence is that's where we need to go to because the old way is not sustainable. So, to, so putting back to what you're saying, if it's not sustainable, why would you continue down that road when you know that there's a cul-de-sac at the end of the road and you're not going to go anywhere after that? So, you know, best you try and take an off-ramp a little bit earlier. Dion Chang? He is the founder and managing director of Flux Trends. Thank you, Bruce. Expert advice and data-driven insights that unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights. Matching foresight with sustainable possibilities. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. For more, visit apsainsights.co.za.